This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Grab a Bible or open your electronic Bible, open it to Acts chapter 3. Today we begin a new series entitled, Dealing with Difficult People. Now, early in the week I had planned to go another direction, but as I kept praying and and seeking God, as I always do, I felt led to deal with a subject that I think is safe to say affects 100% of us. Because, and and be honest here, what causes the most stress in your life? You know, out of all those who come to my office crying and, and needing to talk about a problem in their life, I've never had anybody say, Pastor, I'm so stressed because of global warming or, or climate change or stressed because, and you've been hearing about all the trash that's a- accumulated on Mount Everest. Anybody re- read all those articles? It's, it's a major problem. Or, you know, the potholes on the roads. I've never had anybody say, Pastor, I'm having sleepless nights, insomnia, because of all those things. That's always the greatest stress that we experience in our everyday lives can be traced back to people. Maybe a spouse. Don't look at them right now. Or a boss. Or your children. Or your parents. Or your friends. And I couldn't imagine this, but maybe even your pastor. So we're going to go on a journey. Maybe two-week journey. Maybe three-week journey. We'll see how the Lord leads. And uh, we're going to see how God would have us deal with the difficult people in our lives. Now, there's a, there's a verse that will power us through this series, and I would encourage you to put this verse somewhere visible, and, and hopefully you got the card. Did you get the card when, when you were walking in? Uh, if, if you didn't, why, you can at least read it behind me, but I'd like for all of us to just say it together, and um, if you could just go ahead and advance through there, get us to that slide. Uh, one more. There we go. And uh, so we're going to say the first Thessalonians at the very end. We'll begin with brothers and sisters on the count of three. One, two, three. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. So let's say it one more time. That's first Thessalonians. What is it? Five, fourteen. One more time. One, two, three. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. And where's it found? First Thessalonians 5.14. To lay the groundwork for the next two or three weeks, let me establish four things. Number one, and this is a, a bit of a painful revelation, but As wonderful of a person as you think you are, and as well-liked and respected as you think you are, the truth is you are probably someone's difficult person. That's right. More than likely, there are those people that when they see you, they think you're selfish, they think you're insensitive. They think you're arrogant. They think you're lazy. They think you're irresponsible. They think you're negative. They think you're stuck up or uncaring or the list could go on. And, and I know we can't comprehend that because we see the best in ourselves. We know our good intentions. We know our heart. But when it comes to looking at others, we don't look at their best. We look at their worst. So you're going to have to trust me on this. You... Me, 
We are the difficult people in someone's life. So let's just get it out in the open. Turn to the person by you and say, you are one of those difficult people, okay? And if you're not sitting with anybody, you're lucky there. (laughs) All right. The second thing I want to establish, and this is good news. God loves all the difficult people. (laughs) He loves us, even though sometimes we're insensitive, sometimes we're lazy, sometimes we're irresponsible, sometimes we're negative. God still loves us. Amen? Number three, not only does God love all the difficult people, but we should love them as well. That's the hard part. But hopefully by the end of the series, by God's grace, we will be able to love those difficult people. Um, The fourth thing that I want to establish is this, that even though God loves us just as we are, He loves us far too much to let us stay that way. Which means if we're difficult in the sense of being abrasive, we should work on our people skills. Don't, don't, Don't stay that way. Don't just say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm sorry. No, take steps to become more people oriented. Or if we come across as as being stuck up, we should work on being more friendly. Yes. Or or if we're irresponsible, don't just say, well, if you don't like it, you can just lump it. That's just the way I am. No. Take steps to become more responsible. If you're lazy, get your carcass out of the recliner and do something about it. So as difficult... People, even though God loves us just as we are, He loves us far too much to let us stay that way. All right, you okay so far? If you're a bit offended, we've only just begun. Buckle up. Today we're going to talk about the difficult person that we will just refer to as the very needy person. And for kicks, let's start out by analyzing the person by you again. And I want you to look them over or just look around, you know, the people in your section. Okay, just kind of look look at the different people around and and I want you to analyze them. and, And I want you to determine if they appear to be one of those needy people. Look around. And here's what I want you to do. If you don't think they appear to be overly needy, in a minute, not yet, but I want you to say to them, you complete me. And that's a compliment. But if that person seems to be very needy, then I want you to look them in the eye and say, you deplete me. Go ahead. No, I'm just, just kidding. Don't do that. That's not a good thing. Now, when we think of needy people... We always think of those who are financially needy, and and there are plenty who are financially needy. But today our study will go beyond those financially needy people, and we will also deal with two other categories. We will deal with those who are emotionally needy. There are many, many people who have deep emotional needs. And emotional needs generally surface in different ways. Sometimes they cause people's lives to be full of drama. Do you know anybody that, and don't look at them again, but that, that is a drama queen or a drama king? There, there are plenty of them in this community and, and probably some in this church. Uh, I, I mean, just look on Facebook for about 30 seconds sometime, and it can be pretty entertaining as well as really disgusting. 
Another symptom of emotionally needy people is that many times they come to feel that they're always the victim. They believe the world is against them. There's a conspiracy against them. They're the victim of bad luck. You know, as the saying is, you know, if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all. And they really believe that. But then the needy also includes those who are spiritually needy. And spiritual needs sometimes cause people to be downright mean. They will say things, do things that are just flat out hurtful. Now, as God's children, I believe that we should be the very first people to respond to those who are needy. You know, whether supporting a financial need or, or an emotional need or a spiritual need. I don't believe the government should be the first to respond. I believe the church should be the very first one to respond. But here's the major problem with helping the needy. If we don't help the needy in the right way, we can actually end up enabling and doing long-term damage. Let me illustrate that with uh, a moment of transparency from my own life. When I see a need, here's kind of the progression of my life. I see the need, and most of the time I'm fairly compa- uh, compassionate. Not, not always, but, but most of the time I, I, I want to help. And I begin to try to figure out what to do. Um, Sometimes it's being a friend. Sometimes it's texting them an encouraging word. Sometimes it's helping someone financially. Sometimes it's giving them counsel. But I generally try to help in some way. But here's what sometimes happens. When I help, I find that people, not every time, but plenty of times they feel entitled to the help. As we talked about last week. And And they think they deserve the help and they're owed because of their particular situation. And so when they receive it, they don't appear grateful for it. So what's my next reaction? I'm just kind of opening my heart to you. I pull back and I say, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. They're not grateful. I feel like they're using me. They don't appreciate what I've done for them. I'm not going to invest any more money. I'm not going to invest any more effort, uh, time. And, and so right or wrong, I'm not justifying this. I'm not saying that this is the right way to go, but this is kind of my, my, my gut reaction. I, I pull back. Well, what happens then? Predictably, they get upset at me. They accuse me of being uncaring and cold-hearted. And the end result is that I've created a situation where now they're mad at me. And they feel that as a pastor, I'm cold and, you know, I, I just don't have any compassion. And so what began with pure motives on my part basically blew up in my face. And instead of helping, I created hard feelings and complicated the situation. And so today, I want to talk about how to help people in a way that will truly help them. And, and there are two words that I think will kind of bring some clarity as we try to help the needy. Here are the two words. Relief and restoration. And there are some people that need relief. But there are other people that don't need relief. They need restoration. Let's look at the difference. First of all, relief. Relief is immediate and temporary assistance. Relief is needed when someone faces an unexpected loss or tragedy. Maybe someone loses a job and we hand them some money. Or, or, or sometimes someone loses a house to a fire and we buy them some clothes. Or there's an accident and, and we step in in an appropriate way. And, and as, as Americans, you know, patting ourselves on the back here a little bit, we're pretty good at offering relief. 
here's the qualifier, as long as it doesn't take much of our time. You know, when Joplin was devastated by the tornado some years ago, many churches, and ours was no exception, uh, as long as it didn't involve too much time or effort, we were in. You know, the first time our church went, right after it happened, and we organized it, uh, we took a bunch of people. I mean, interest was high. We, we, we took a school bus, and uh, there were a lot of people from our church. We were with chainsaws and all kinds of stuff, and um, interest was high. But the next time we went, about half that amount. The third time we went, I think it was four people. As long as we only have to commit a few hours or a few dollars, we're good at short-term relief. And really, when we see someone go through tragedy, we should ambush them with the love of God and say, hey, we'll help you clean this up and don't worry about meals for the next week. We got you covered. Or, hey, your marriage is struggling. We'll watch your kids for the next two or three days until you figure out which way is up or you lost your job. So our small group has taken up an offering to help you make your next house payment. And we as a church should be there with relief. That's temporary, not ongoing, temporary assistance after a tragedy. But not everyone needs relief. In fact, too many times we give relief, that's, what's, that, that's not needed. Which leads us to the second word, restoration. And restoration is an ongoing effort to restore people to their God-given potential. And this is not just doing something for someone, it's doing something with them. This is not just giving someone a few hours or a few dollars this many times requires weeks, months, maybe even years investing in them. You know, maybe working with someone who is an addict. And you help them get into rehab. And then when they get out, you help them find accountability. But as happens so often, three months later, maybe they fall off the wagon. And, and you help them pick up the pieces again. And so you do some tough love. But finally, after a long period of, of time with some ups and downs and celebrations and tears and Finally, by the power of God, they become clean and, and stable and you've helped them be restored to their God-given potential. That's restoration. Restoration is also when you take that chronically insecure person that sometimes gets on our nerves and they want you to do something for them. And if you don't, even if you have a legitimate reason, they try to make you feel guilty or they bash you on Facebook. Restoration is sitting across the table from them and opening God's word and kindly but firmly showing them that they need to get their eyes off of themselves. And as the Bible says, they need to in honor prefer one another and lovingly help them realize that life doesn't revolve around them and they need to be concerned about someone else besides themselves. That's restoration. Restoration is also dealing with the person who is always broke and never has money and the person that you could maybe give $500 or $1,000 to and it would be gone in a heartbeat and not improve their financial situation long-term. Restoration is not just giving them $500. It's sitting down with them, helping them establish a budget. And yes, part of the problem may be the need for more income, but many times the biggest problem is the need for less, ex less expenses. And so restoration is helping them understand that they need to get rid of their credit cards. And as I said earlier, they need to help them realize that debt is dumb. 
It's necessary at times, but we have way too much debt as a society. Help them understand that they need to start paying cash and live within their means and maybe even get rid of cable and, yes, internet and and cigarettes and their daily large Coke at the convenience store and anything else that might be a financial drain on them. That's restoration. The problem is not that we don't want to help. Most of us want to help, but the problem is that many of us only want to offer relief because that's quick. It doesn't interrupt our lives. But other situations don't need relief because relief just feeds their attitude of entitlement. They need tough love through restoration. Now today I want to show you a great story in the Bible that speaks to this matter. You'll recognize the story, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So here's a man that was very needy. Uh, People had been giving him relief all of his life. He would beg. People would give him just enough money to survive daily relief. And by the way, there were, back in this day, there were three common places uh, to, to beg. One was called the highway, and this wasn't necessarily a highway, but it was a place where there was a lot of traffic, maybe a marketplace. The second place where people commonly begged, uh, in cities as today, many times uh, you, you have those where the wealthy lived and so they would go to those homes there and beg, hoping that the wealthy would be more generous. But, but the third and really most common, most effective place to beg was in front of the temple because in that day, everybody would go to the temple at least one time a day to pray. So we have a needy man at the temple. People were giving him relief. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for... What do you think he's going to ask them for? Some money. Which is, by the way, what most people think is their greatest need. When people come to the church to ask for assistance, almost everybody asks for money. Verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting a what? Gift or money? But Peter says something strange. He says, I don't have any money for you. Now, he he didn't say, I don't have any money. He said, I don't have any money for you. Um, So you want money? Sorry, you're not going to get it from me. But he goes on and says, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Uh, verse 7, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And, and, and this is where we get the saying, and you see it there in your bulletin, you know, not a handout, but a hand up. This, this is where we get it right there. And as he did, the man's feet and ankle bones were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into, went into the temple with them. So Peter gave him something so much better than money. And it was something that Peter couldn't give on his own. Peter, Peter didn't have the, the, the power to heal. And so to see this man experience restoration and healing, Peter needed God's help. You know, part of the problem today is that we like to place ourselves in the role of a functional savior. And, and try to follow me here. We think, well, I've been successful in business and I've done well for myself. And, you know, I've been successful in my marriage because I'm still happily married. And 
most people aren't. And I've been successful in raising my kids. They've all turned out right. And so therefore, you know, because of that, you know, you need to listen to me. I'm the authority. I will tell you what to do. And if you'll do what I tell you what to do, your life will turn around. We think we can fix people just because we've been somewhat successful. But, but please understand this. See, even if we have been so fortunate to have stayed married, or even if we've been so fortunate to have seen our kids turn out right, even if we've done well financially, guess what? All of those successes are only because of God. We're not that smart. We're not that good on our own. And God does honor hard work. He honors following certain principles. But any success that we've had is because of God. And, and our successes should never cause us to look down on someone else and think that, well, we can solve their problem. We're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He may choose us as His hands and feet to give money or counsel, but the whole foundation, as we talk about restoration, is not us. It's not our success. The foundation is Jesus Christ. So let's come to the really practical part of our lesson and quickly look at three prayers that we should all pray before we help anyone. So, listen, if someone comes to you and asks you for something this week, some money or a ride or for this or for that, you need to pray these three prayers. Prayer number one, God... Help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. The lame man said, I want money, but that's not what he really needed the most. We must ask God, what do they truly need? And after praying that, God may show you, yes, they suffered a devastating fire. They lost their job. They need relief. God may direct you to give some money. But on the other hand, God may say, no, don't give them money. Because they need to actually start shaking the bushes and look for a job. And if you give them money, they're going to stay in the recliner. They don't need relief. They need restoration. Maybe someone says, well, I need $650 to make my car payment. No, 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 no. In your financial situation, you don't need a $25,000 car. You need a $5,000 car. That $25,000 car, as Dave Ramsey, Ramsey says, has made you a slave to something you can't afford. And so giving $650 merely prolongs the problem. It doesn't solve it. Or, or, or someone else says, well, take me here, do this for me. And if you don't do it, they'll put you on a guilt trip and put on Facebook how nobody cares. Don't be intimidated by them. Pray, God, what do they truly need? And it may be that God will say, yes, take them there. Uh, do that for them. But God may also say, no, don't do it. Because if you do it, you're enabling them. You're taking them deeper into their problem. And so you may need to kindly but firmly say, I'm sorry, but this is not what you really need. And then help direct them into what they truly need. And yes, there will be times when you're just tempted to give them what they want because that's the easiest. Just a few weeks ago, somebody uh, came in 
hit me up for some help, financial help after the service. And um, I, I knew I shouldn't do it, but I did it anyway. It wasn't somebody from this church. They had just timed it right so that they came in right at the end of the service. And uh, I went to my wallet. I pulled out some cash, and I handed it to them, even though I knew I shouldn't, because it was easiest to just throw a little bit of cash and walk away. And, and this is awful, but, you know, I was thinking, yeah, at least I'll get them out of my hair. But that's not really probably what this person needed. Second prayer, and I believe for many of you this is going to convict you as it did me. The second prayer is this, God, help me stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. You know, God has set up a system where we reap what we sow. Galatians says that. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked for a man reaps what he sows. But, but here's what I sometimes do. I, because of really wanting to help someone, I, I see their need. and I, I sometimes jump in front of God and rescue people from the consequences of their wrongdoing. And, and you know, whenever I do that, I get the warm fuzzies. And I think, you know, I feel good about myself. And I feel really godly and spiritual. And think, I bail them out. You know, I, I, I paid for this. And I saved them from that. And I pat myself on the back and say, good for me. I'm such a good guy. And again, sometimes we need to do that. But do you realize that by doing that many times, we've gotten in God's way of teaching them a lesson? Don't get in God's way of teaching them the lesson of you reap what you sow. Last week we referred to the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And remember the younger son said, I want my inheritance now. And the father gave it to him. The son left and went out, you know, sleeping with girls and smoking weed or whatever they did 2,000 years ago. And one day he woke up and he was in the pig pen and his life sunk. But did you notice what the dad didn't do? The dad didn't go after him, begging and pleading for him to come back. Listen, he loved him enough to leave him in the pig pen. Why? Because he knew the pig pen was God's plan to bring him back. If the father would have rescued him from the pig pen too early, he wouldn't have learned the lesson of you reap what you sow. Sometimes, and this is hard to listen to, sometimes we need to leave people in the pig pen. And it's hard to stand back and watch people suffer the consequences, especially when it involves our friends and our family, our kids, our grandkids. You know, we want to prevent, we want to rescue, we want to storm the gates. That's why we should always pray, God, help us not to get in your way when you're in the process of using consequences to wake someone up. The third prayer we need to pray before helping someone is, God, help me remember that I'm also in need and you're always the answer. You know, if we want to help people who are in need, we need to quit acting like we have it all together. David said this in Psalm 75. He said, but I'm poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O oh God. Can you just kind of sense the, 
emotion hurried to my aid. Oh God, you're my helper and my savior. Oh Lord, do not delay. So if you think you have it all together and so therefore God needs you to meet everybody's needs, frankly, your God is too small. When you feel you have it together, all together, and, and you think that it depends on you, then your overinflated ego dilutes your ability to connect them to the true problem solver, which is Jesus Christ. We need a transparency that allows us to admit that we don't have it all together yet. You know, when I go to a third world country, I, I always come back convicted. Here's the typical progression of my trip. I, I arrive in the country, I look all around, and I feel good about myself. I mean, I've left the comfort of America to help these poor people that have no toilet, no running water, and I've come to serve them good for me. And again, there I am patting myself on the back because, you know, here I am to help them out. But typically during my stay, something begins to happen within me. I come to the realization that even though they have nothing materially yet, they possess something I don't have. They, they have joy despite their poverty. And they have a spirit of generosity that causes them to kill. And this just really works on me emotionally because I've seen this happen. They'll send someone out to their little flock of sheep and they'll bring the sheep back and kill it so that we can eat. They have so little, and, and me, in comparison to them, I have everything, but I want more. And so by the end of my trip, I realize, yes, they're in need, and I have something to offer them, but I'm also in need, and they have something to offer me. And when you and I realize that we're mutually in need, and we're mutually messed up, and we mutually need God, then and only then are we putting ourselves in a position to help each other. And here's something that I need for you to hear about me. As your pastor, I'm nothing but a sinner saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need your support. I need your friendship. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but as your pastor, I don't have all the answers. I'm needy just as you are. And then when we all land there and begin to help each other, then suddenly... We're not just giving relief, but we're in a biblical community doing life together and serving each other, encouraging each other. And I dare say that virtually every need that any of us has can be met by God through His people. And when we operate that way, then God is going to use His church to make a difference. And as we wrap it up, we've talked about the financially needy. We've talked about the emotionally needy. But so many times people are needy spiritually. And their biggest need is really Jesus Christ. I know you listen to our politicians and they tell you what they think the greatest need is, you know, whatever. But really, what people need is Jesus. The greatest need is not money. It's not more of this or that. But really, people need Jesus. So, uh, if you're needy this morning, the first place to begin is Jesus. And I pray that Jesus would be our first response, not our last. So I pray that this would be a new era in this church. You know, I don't want to wait for the government to help 
may wait forever. But when there's a need, I want us as a church to ambush people with the love of Christ. There will be times when we'll need to give them some relief, hand them some money. There's been a tragedy, a disaster. We need to give them relief. But I believe many more times than that, there will be people that need restoration, which means we will need to invest in them. Which means that it's going to take more than a few bucks and a few minutes. But I pray that God would give us a love for people to where we would give them what they need, not necessarily what they want. Whenever we begin to do that, I think we're going to see a community that will be impacted by by our love. Let's pray. God, I know this really is a matter that is close to our hearts because we all have that co-worker. We all have that family member. Lord, we all have that friend that maybe is in a place and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to help. We've had that conversation where what can we do? Lord, I pray that whenever relief is needed that there would be a generosity that we've never seen before. That the that short-term relief, whether it's money or helping somebody rebuild something, that we would be there. But Lord, whenever, whenever the person needs restoration, don't let us just throw a few bucks at them and sink them deeper into a lifestyle maybe of enablement, entitlement. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to care enough to where we would begin to spend time with them. Lord, uh, we're all messed up people. We need each other. Of course, we need you, but we need each other. And so, Lord, I pray that over the coming days that we would be there for each other, just messed up people, serving messed up people, and together, through the grace of God, we're being restored to our God-given potential. So, Lord, I pray that this week would be different, that our lives would begin to take a drastic shift and that we would pray these prayers every time. And this week, we will probably have some people that will want something from us. Let us pray these prayers. And, Lord, would you give us direction? Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your generosity to us. We love you. We ask these favors in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can I just read this memory verse one more time? Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. So it kind of indicates we're not just supposed to let them watch them be lazy. It says, warn them who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Come alongside them. Take tender care of those who are weak. And I really wish we could kind of scratch out this last one, but we probably shouldn't. It says, be patient with everyone. And could I just add in parentheses, even your pastor. Amen? Will you do that? And I'll try to be patient with you as well. You're dismissed.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.